Hey, everybody! Welcome to Wellness Webinar with Dr. Myers. As you see, I'm wearing my mask. Hello, hello. Love hey. it. Smart plan. Very smart plan. I got my mask. Today in Kentucky. Oh, yes, you have, you yeah. have the, yeah, you have the filter on yours, which is really nice because then you don't feel like you're kind of getting hot and rebreathing your air. That's a little, it's a nice uh, addition to the face coverings. Very smart. Yeah. And it's got, you can clean the filter. <clears throat> it's a charcoal type filter. You can wash it. So these are reusable. And uh, in Kentucky, we have to start wearing them at five o'clock today everywhere in public. Um, so uh, we got we we had some disposable ones that we have made available to the practitioners. Um, these are available to the practitioners now on our website, and then they'll be available to the public later on today. Um, I think they're three for fifteen or six bucks or something like that. It's not bad, you know, reusable mask. Do you wear your mask, Dr. Mm -hmm. Myers? I wear a mask every time I walk out of a door. So yes, uh, like right now when I'm sitting just alone, I do not, uh, yeah. but I wear a mask every day, of course, all day long at work. And then if I'm running errands or flying or outside my house, basically I'm wearing a mask, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so tell us about how things have been going. I know that you're um, actually taking a break right now in Tennessee, which is wonderful for you because you deserve it, but you're traveling, you're working at hospitals all over the country. You are our medical director. Um, tell us a little bit about how the hospitals have been. You know, I've heard a lot about Texas and Florida, the ICUs are filling up. How has it been for your experience? I mean, I think we've been seeing that. We, um, you know, the emergency medicine side of things is picking up volume. Um, and then, of course, the level of sick that we are seeing is increasing. So we are admitting more people into the hospital for care. Um, I think the real numbers that matter aren't necessarily the new number of infection per day. All those, all those numbers are shocking and sometimes scary. Um, I, I think the real numbers we want to see are really how many people are being admitted into hospitals, how many people need intensive care level help, um, and out of them, how many are actually requiring ventilated breathing assistance. So, you know, we're watching those numbers very carefully from a hospital perspective. We're counting our machines every day. We're counting our masks and our personal protection gear that we are required to use. Uh, in order to provide care for people in that close proximity sort of contact layer. Um, but we're watching everything it, it, increase in numbers. I, I, it's just across the board. And, and I think we anticipated that. Um, opening back up, I think, meant more people will get sick. Um, it's just a matter now of, of can we keep the people who we already know are at risk in good quarantine isolation. If you, again, are one of those individuals that are older, that have high blood pressure, that have diabetes, that are overweight, that have high cholesterol, you really still need to be very careful um, because those, those numbers are gonna continue to rise, I think, as we move from the coastlines toward middle America. That's what we're watching happen right now. So places like Texas, places like Arizona, you know, higher population states, we're going to see those numbers continue to rise. 
Yeah, I've been, um, it's nerve wracking. I've been at home. I mean, I just think the stress of all of it is also part of the problem for people is, you know, we jumped out of this isolation time, this quarantine time, and everybody kind of just like went out and did stuff. And now I think people are scared. They don't want to go back in. I've I've seen a lot online of people who are, um, you know, just politically driving this, you know, where they're arguing about whether they should wear a mask or get vaccinated and do all this stuff. And how do you feel like as a medical professional, do you feel like I I personally, I feel like it's not political. It's just about, you know, what you want to do to take care of yourself and your family and what you think is the best way to do that is your business. Um, But I think that um, how do you feel like as a medical professional, would you recommend that people continue to social, you know, to isolate the best that they can? Um, especially if you're coming in contact with somebody who might have one of these underlying factors like this high blood pressure and stuff like that? I mean, I, I would, I, I think across the board, if you, someone in your family or friend group is an at risk, you know, we have a, a chronic medical problem that we're managing. I mean, be respectful of that. I mean, I, I think that's a common sense maybe practice to be, aware of that possibility of this illness might be more significant for them. Um, it could be, in fact, devastating for them and to, and to take your precautions to help keep them safe. Um, you know, I think that everyone, I think, was tired of being so vigilant, of staying home, of wiping everything down, of not having the normal runaround access that we have become accustomed to in our life and lifestyle. Um, and it's scary to maybe think that you need to go back there. Uh, although it's scary to think that, oh, if I go and do some of the things that I really want to do, I might get sick. So we're really kind of in the middle of making those decisions, I think, in America right now. How do we keep our economy going? How do we provide our business and our business services um, and keep everyone safe? And I think that's sort of the preeminent question on everyone's mind. And of course, from those of us that are practicing in the medical arena who are seeing the very sick you know, we would recommend you still be very careful, still be very safe, you know, protect yourself, protect the people around you, be respectful of that. I know there's a big controversy about masks, China used them aggressively and they did very well with their epidemic. Uh, And, and, you know, other areas of the world in this pandemic uh, are not doing that. And so we're seeing these, you know, rolling numbers of rise of infections. I, I feel like this is gonna be here a while. This is kind of the new normal, which is, maybe frustrating. Um, but until we get medicine that helps us or vaccines that can help protect us, uh, we still have to be real careful. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been uh, just for stress and everything at home and dealing with staying healthy. I've been magnawaving my family every single day. I really feel like for me, you know, I have this fear. Everybody talks about the deep breath. Like, can you take a deep breath? Can you take a deep breath? Do you have people been talking to you about that at all? Like, how is that? You know, I've been I literally lay on the mat every night and then I, you know, make everyone, make all the kids lay on the mat. And um, I think for me, it, it just makes me feel a relaxed, sleep better. And then on top of that, I feel like I'm getting, I'm able to kind of just take that deep breath and it makes me feel better. Does that, is that crazy? Or does that sound some, like something um, that, I mean, it's fairly normal that people have that type of anxiety. I think we're seeing a high level of stress um, and everyone manages stress differently and anxiety is a very common side effect of stress. Um, And it's hard not to. I mean, we're listening to a lot of numbers every day, numbers that are scary every day. Not only that, we all have a lot of just internal stress about 
how is my life going to return to normal or is it ever going to return to normal? Will I lose someone I know or love? You know, how's my business going to make it through this? So I feel like inherently we have a massive amount of stress in this world and anything that you can do that calms that down for you is important and valuable because stress in our system is very hard. Stress actually sets us up to become more likely to become sick. Uh, when we change our physiology, that physiology becomes more acidic. The more acidic we are, the more likely we are to have some cellular dysfunction. So yeah. across the board, if you can kind of calm your mind down, bring yourself down to a center, relax a little bit, that's going to be useful. And I feel like, again, that's where, you know, the, the MagnaWave, the PEMF is so valuable because it really does reset some cellular metabolism. It resets your energy circles. It gets you better oxygenation, better blood flow. And it's a game changer, quite frankly. I think so too. I think the blood flow, the oxygenation, that's all I keep focusing on. Um, and I've, and there have been people who have gotten sick. Um, we've had a couple of practitioners who uh, work in the medical field that have actually gotten COVID and they've used their machine. There's one, she's a nurse, she's using it in the hospital to help with just the lines from the masks you know, from where it's, you know, they have the swelling oh, and, yeah. and the issues there. That's a big concern. I didn't know right? because they, these are one thing and they have the, they have right. the little ear thing, which is great. But man, when you wear them in a hospital, you, they had to be extremely tight. They are. We have actually the, the N95s are the masks that they want us to wear when we are in close proximity to an individual for an extended period of time, because this is really about ratios. How close are you? How long do you stay close and in what environment are you in? So if you're in a tiny little bathroom and you're close for a long time frame, that's very different than being in a big open, you know, airspace and being around someone. So distancing, you know, and, and, and volume of time and then volume of state space are all we're looking at. But in the hospitals, we're very close to people for an extended period of time. So we're, we're wearing masks that literally create a seal on our face. Uh, and I'm shocked I don't still have just a nose bridge line. Uh, every day when I take my mask off, they're they're certainly present. So I, I you know, our, our noses are getting raw, our ears are getting raw. I mean, we're, there's some skin breakdown. It, it is what it is, but uh, they can be uncomfortable. And I think that's part of what is off-putting for a lot of people when they think about wearing the mask. But but really, I, you know, it it seems like it's going to be an important part. As we learn more about this virus, we are learning more and more that it is in the air. It, it comes out in little droplets when we're speaking or we sneeze or we cough. So we know that we can spread it this way. Uh, so the face covering is going to be very helpful to help minimize the numbers of people that are getting sick. So, yeah, something we should all, I think, strongly consider in our personal lives. Yeah, I was at um, Home Depot the other day with my husband and this lady, she removed her mask to sneeze. And and <laughs> I was like, no, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Like I I, I quickly ran away. He's like, anybody who sneezes just, it, you know, you have this now this irrational sneeze fear. But like, she was like this and then she was like, I do. And I was like, what, wait, what? Um, so yeah, if you're wearing a mask, wait, wait, yeah, sneeze into the mask, sneeze into the mask. So yeah, in the hospital, you're dealing with children too. I know that you, uh, you work with kids a lot. Have you seen any, you know, I've noticed with my own son, a little bit of like, he's a little bit, he's acting out a little bit. It's a little bit, you can't be with your friends. You're not going to parties. There's no swimming pool open near us. So have you noticed any of these residual effects in kids that you're seeing? 
I, you know, I think kids are very aware of their environment and the stress that we're feeling as adults, they really do interpret and, and wear a little bit in their own systems and bodies. And they do, they don't have the coping strategies that we do. So they really don't know how to calm themselves down on a level. They're just going to spin around a little faster and, and act out, I think, a little more potentially even aggressively uh, on some levels. And so, you know, I had a nurse that I talked with last week. She said, she has a grandson who is six and he just looked at her and he said, Grammy, she, he said, this is ruining my life. <laughs> I mean, he's six or seven, you know what I mean? So like, how is it ruining your life? He's like, I can't go play with my friends. I can't come visit you. I don't get to go to school and see my teacher. Like their whole world has been changed. And for them, those are the things that are important and valuable, right? So my world has shifted a little differently and I might think that because there's so many extra things that I'm doing in my world, but even kids are feeling the same stressors. Um, and and the, the adult conversations that are going on around them, certainly they're absorbing um, mm -hmm. and, and it panics them because they have some very irrational thoughts. They think that they cause things even though they're not. It's just part of the developmental phase for them. Um, and when people talk about the death toll, um, I had a little guy, he was 10. He'd been at a, a Father's Day event. Uh, they'd had a cookout. Everyone was outside, everyone social distanced. They were very careful. Uh, and yet one of the family members was diagnosed two days later as a COVID positive um, individual who had symptoms. And so they, this family presented to the emergency department with their kids. They were healthy, but they were, they were scared. And this little guy was like, people are dying from this. Like he was very irrational about it on a level because he was still very healthy and had no symptoms, but they can't control those thoughts very well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I, I think when we've got a device uh, that can actually is FDA approved for anxiety, for depression, for headaches, for those sort of neurological thought processes, I would use it. Yeah. You know, I, I think, again, it can be a game changer for how you cope. How does your body manage through this? Are you resting well? You know, do you, can you take down that level of just spinning thought processes that makes it so hard to manage your world, you know? Yeah, I think that's what that's exactly what has been so helpful for me and my family. We actually I have a mat here and it's got the mat bag in it. So the, the bat, the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about these later, but now I'm going to show you what I do when I treat my children. But um, this is the the mat inside. If you have a mat. It's so hard to know what direction I'm supposed to do. Everything is opposite on the computer. Okay, so here's the mat. Here's the corn. Now we have these new mat bags. So if you treat your dog like I do or you treat animals, then it just zips up over top of it. So these are pretty cool, but I put my son. So this is a pretty big bag. This is 18, or a pretty big mat. It's 18 by 23. Um, it is not a full body PMF map, but it's about halfway. I know you've seen it before, Dr. Myers. And what I do with it is I um, I actually lay my children on it at night. We watch TV. We just take turns passing it around the couch. Um, and it has been, it really, I, I, I know that I have every reason to say this, but I really feel like this tradition that we're doing in the evenings, it's almost like this where everybody feels better and it, and it relaxes them and they're sleeping better. I mean, my son was getting up in the middle of the night. Because we were talking about it. You know, you're right. My husband and I were talking about it in front of him. Um, and we were canceling things that we, were, we had been very excited about for years. Okay. Like our big trip to Europe and things that my husband and I have been talking about for 15 years. And now it's, we're not doing it. And to him, that was like, wait, 
what? Like, that's all you've talked about since literally the day I was born. And now we're not going. So there's all these things that have changed for him. And so what he was getting up in the middle of the night and coming and sleeping in our bed, and that was that had never happened in years. I mean, he's a pretty you know, self-sufficient little boy. And so I noticed that once I started using the machine more consistently, mm -hmm. not just once or twice a week, I'm doing it 10 minutes every evening, having our popcorn, having that time alone to talk mm -hmm. to each other. Um, I feel like it's kind of just become this tradition that's really helped him. And I've, I was talking to a couple moms yesterday on a mom's group, and they were saying the same thing, that their kids are now it's kind of getting this breaking point where we usually be preparing to go back to school. Um, and we don't even know, like we haven't gotten our homeroom right. assignments. We don't know. You know, Kentucky says that we're going back, but right. Tennessee just canceled. And everybody's just kind of like what I think it, a lot of it is the unknown. Right. And, and kids don't, because we don't deal well with unknown. I don't think kids deal well with the unknown either. And we have a lot of it. We don't know what is school going to really look like. Are we going to be part online, part in the classroom? Is it going to be all online? Will it be all in the classroom? How will those classrooms look? Like there's just so many unanswered questions. You know, when we look at the fall and the wintertime being our heavy viral infection timeframe, normally speaking, how is that going to play out in sort of the face of this COVID pandemic? So I don't know that we have good answers yet from on any level from the, you know, from the government or from the CDC or from the National Institute of Health or from the World Health Organization. I mean, we've got a lot of people looking at this question um, and no one's really kind of been able to figure it out because we just don't know what it's going to look like. And we may start and then have to stop. You know, I mean, there's going to be some, I, I think, very interesting unknown scenarios in the fall. And, and kids feel that. Um, and I think anything you can do in your family life to calm some of that down, those patterns that exist, you know, doing something repetitively that brings back some of that structure that they're missing is, is important and valuable. Most kids need a lot of structure. And right now, I'm not sure that anyone's got it. We don't know what to do with it ourselves. We don't have our own structure as adults, let alone the capacity on a large level to create that for you know kids as well. Because it's it's new. It's new every week. You know, new information. Don't do this. Oh no, now do that. You know, we're we're finding this rolling volume of change that's happening. It makes it challenging. Now, in the medical community, like in terms of medicines and treatments for coronavirus, because we've been talking to each other about this since it started. What has changed? I know at one point they were, you talked a lot about the ventilators. And then, you know, recently, um, I think the last wellness webinar, we talked about just oxygen delivery as being really um, beneficial that you'd see just giving them oxygen instead of necessarily going on the uh, ventilator right away. What have you seen in terms of like, you know, actual pills and medicine that may have been beneficial? You know, what are you all learning? And, and, and how is that information being communicated to you? So, I mean, I just do, for me personally, a lot of online looking because it's, there's so much information. There are hundreds of studies going on uh, across the, the United States, across Europe, collectively between sort of a, a worldwide look. Everyone is trying to run data, run numbers, and find things that might help and might work. The problem with a lot of it is it's, it's observational studies. These are not clinically designed trials that are going to give us, you know, some of maybe the reliable data that we're used to accumulating over a broader period of time. So, you know, in the last 90 days, 120 days, which is really what we've had experience with, we've learned a lot. We have, we've learned to, to get air in a different way. We're not as 
We don't want to intubate as fast. Uh, we would like to deliver air in different mechanisms in order to help preserve lung tissue, uh, not for just right now, but in the future for lung damage, long-term scarring that happens. Um, so we've changed a little bit of our approach from that perspective. Um, we've got a couple of little antiviral products that are being heavily studied that may shorten courses of illness. Um, nothing is really changing survival rates so much right now um, mm -hmm. from that perspective in that group, but we're certainly shortening duration of time. Uh, the one maybe interesting product is a steroid that we've used in a very long-term fashion uh, that's an anti-inflammatory kind of medicine that may change some survivability in the very sick, but we don't know what it does if you're just mildly sick or moderately sick even, or if you're healthy, we don't think it's gonna be a prevention product from that perspective, but we're finding little pockets of products that will help us in different scenarios, but you have to apply them correctly. And then we really need broader numbers of people using them to be able to really decide are they helpful or not helpful. You know, that's the whole hydroxychloroquine question we think we thought it might be a game changer. We thought that it might change the way the virus was able to get inside of the cell. And if we can change its access, then maybe we can change, you know, symptoms, severity, length, all of that sort of stuff. We didn't find that to be the case after we did some pretty decent and broad studies, but it does change viral shedding. So if I get sick, how long am I risky for somebody else? It may be that we're going to begin to use that product in that fashion. Wow. So, you know, we're, we've got some products, we're having to readjust maybe where we're applying them. Uh, and we've got some new ones that are popping onto the scene that are, that are showing some promise, but we just need more data. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a challenge because there's a lot of medicine out there. Um, but how does it apply here though? And can we get great data that's not guessing data? That's the real problem. When I give you something, I want to know it's not going to make you worse. I want to know that you got worse because the product didn't work. And the progression of the virus is what made you worse, not because what I gave you made that happen. And I don't want to start giving medicine on the what if. I don't want to say, well, out of random chance, because I really started thinking about the color blue, all of a sudden I see the color blue everywhere I go, which is in inherently what our brain trains to do, right? Mm -hmm. So if I don't want to give you a product and think that you're getting better because of the medicine when it's not that at all, when really it was just your progression that occurred. So that, that's the, the science of it. We, we, need, we need truth, we don't need guess, uh, and we need to apply it in specific ways. And sometimes we try to apply it at the wrong phase. We try to apply it when it's mild illness or before the illness, when really where we need to apply it is when you're really sick. Or maybe we're trying to apply it when you're really sick because we're throwing the book at everything to try to get you out of that situation. And yet where that medicine really is more helpful is as a, as a prevention product or in a mild course of illness product. We just have a lot to learn still, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we're doing it fast. We're doing it fire hydrant style. Instead of, you know, drinking out of faucet, we're drinking out of fire hydrants. It's just massive volume trying to get data done, but there's still just a lot to do. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, there's so much to do and there's so much that people are trying and then to communicate all of that for everybody, you know, and then keep up with it. I mean, that's a lot of information. Chris, is there a place where people can ask questions? Where, where do I, I can't see the questions, so maybe you could um, pop them up for me. Ah, here we go, Nikki Brown. So she says, my city, Tempe, Arizona, just sent out an email saying that the masks like the one you showed are problematic as they do not trap the droplets inside the mask. Could Dr. Amanda address this, please, confusing? 
Uh, like this one is problematic because it doesn't. Yeah, and I think that's. So the, the masks that have the filters in them work more efficiently. But here's, here's the deal. The, the general face coverings, if you're wearing a bandana or you know a neck wrap and you're just pulling it over your nose and your mouth, the weave of those fabrics are not designed to limit small particles. It'll, it'll eliminate big particles so that's the confusion level i think where most people end up going wait what does this mean so the the masks that are designed with the filters inside of them that fabric that weave of that fabric is actually designed to help trap smaller and smaller particle sizes not allowing it through either direction you don't inhale them and you don't exhale them and push them through the only real masks that prevent movement of those particles are masks like the N95. And they do that, A, because they make a seal. They're actually, you cannot entrain air in the sort of crevices or the areas around your face because it is literally attached to your face item. The vast majority of masks that we're asking the public to wear are not designed like that. They are simply riding in front of the nose and the mouth, um, and they're there strictly to help prevent large droplet exhales, coughs, sneezes, you know, spitting when you speak, that type of thing. It's also there to prevent you from wiping your surface of your face and then touching something else, because we know that's how this viral pattern can be transmitted as well. If I touch fluid here, and then I touch something that you are going to now touch after me and I have this virus, then you will inherently have this virus next. Yeah. So we're using them to help protect your exhale, your sneeze, your cough um, from hitting someone else. And we know there's a big conversation right now about how much virus is actually being exhaled, even with small talking sort of space, because we know we express some liquid when we speak. That's why if you speak a long time, your mouth will become dry. Um, we're, we're exhaling fluid as we're doing all of those things. And the real question is how much virus is in that? How long does it hang in the air? If I walk through that air after you've been speaking and I breathe in, do I inhale that virus? They so don't there's know. the big question right now. Um, they don't know. We don't know. That's just the solid truth. We don't know. So the masks are there to help prevent some of that from happening. Are they 100% effective? Absolutely not. Do we expect them to be? No, we don't. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people are like, I'm not wearing a mask then because there's no point in doing that. You know, it's so we're getting a lot of, I think, very confusing data because no one is giving us a unified voice. If you look on the CDC's website, they're the Center for Disease Control. They're the people who watch disease, trend it, kind of anticipate what's going to happen next with it, and then help us figure out how to manage it. They're recommending masks. Our federal government is not. Most of our states are not. A lot of our cities are being told not to make any recommendations because the state will manage it. So we have a lot of confusion, I think. We do not have one person saying, this is going to help us do it now. Um, I feel like, though, even if those masks are not filtering out every particle size, they can be useful. And other countries that used them and mandated their use watched their numbers diminish and how sick were people uh, across their their population's perspective. So I feel like they're going to be helpful. 
um, that's my gut. That's my intuition. That's my opinion. And, and it's supported by half of us and not supported by the other half of us. So, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Well, I mean, if you're going to wear a mask, I think it's kind of like wearing gloves in the wintertime. Like your hands still might get cold, but they're not going to get cold as fast and they're they're going to be protected longer. Like if, if I can protect my family uh, by going to the grocery store, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily not going to get sick, but I could maybe maybe I won't like my if I can drop my percentage by 20 percent, I'll do it. I mean, am I? You know, and it, it keeps me from touching my face and it keeps the sneezing from going out. And for me inhaling somebody who sneezes next to me at the Home Depot, then I'm happy with that. And um, Nikki, to just say this is one of the woven masks, like um, Dr. Meyer said, it does have the filter that can be washed. It does have this really cool thing that you could tighten on your ears. So it actually does. I, it doesn't seal, but it does tighten to your face. So it's more comfortable. And then it also tightens to your nose. So you could shape. Um, to your nose shape, which I just like. I my son and my daughter, they're uh, ten and or nine and thirteen. They wear this. Um, we also have some children's masks that are not reusable. Um, they are you throw them away. But I do have some toddler masks. If you're looking for those, you can call our office. I can get you some of those. But I like this because um, it has all the things that I needed for my family. When it has the ability for me to clean it, I'm not destroying the environment, which matters. And then also it, it does do its best at, at filtering out some of those particles. Okay, Chris, do we have any more questions? No more questions. Okay, if anybody's got a question, ask it. I don't know where you ask it because I can't see it. Um, I'm assuming it's on Facebook, but I don't really know. So I also use this. We also have some hand sanitizer. What about hand sanitizer, Dr. Myers? Um, are you a hand sanitizer fan? Now I wash my hands. This is not a replacement. But when I go to like the gas station, which I do a lot because there's one by my house and my friends are there. Like they all know my name. They think my name's Ellen actually, but we're still friends. And I, the guys that work up there, the girls that work up there, we just become really good friends over the years, you know, and I'll get a cup of coffee there and I'll get my gas in the morning. And um, I just kind of chat up the neighborhood people and um, I love it, but I feel I wear my mask and then I use this every time I go in and I get my coffee and then I come out and I use this when I pump my gas. And then when I get to work, I wash my hands uh, when I walk in the building. So what what about like, are you as crazy as I am with the hand sanitizer? I take it everywhere. <laughs> Um, yes. Be, well, and mostly because I, I see a lot of people and, you know, we all know that if we see more people, the risk of maybe potentially catching something uh, escalates. And so I, I am a hand sanitizer user. I do prefer washing my hands. This virus has a cell surface. Its skin, if you will, uh, is destroyed by soap. And so soap can be massively effective in just the prevention of, of getting this. So I think you're exactly right. When you walk in a building, uh, whether that's your workplace or your home, immediately washing your hands is one of the most valuable things that you can do um, across the board. I feel like if you don't have access to soap and water, and a lot of times when we're traveling around doing the things that we have to do, uh, then the hand sanitizer is a very good substitute. It does need to have 70% alcohol. Yeah, That's the only way that it will kill the virus. So you're using a product with less than that, it's not very effective and you should still be very cautious. 72. It may help some, but it may not be as effective. 72%. Yeah. So we, we, you know, more is not, more is not necessarily better, but you have to have that volume, that minimum uh, in order for it to work across the board. So 
I like it. I carry some with me. I, just like you, when I'm doing things, I will intermittently hand sanitize after I've touched something and, um, you know, getting in and out of my car. I'm kind of careful about the interior of my car. I want that to be clean. I don't want to have to worry about reaching over and, you know, touching the air conditioning system or the, you know, the drive control or anything like that. So I tend to hand sanitize and then get in my vehicle. Um, yeah. So just some steps that I can replicate that I know I'm replicating that I can continue to be safe with. Uh, it's important. It's, and again, this is a pattern for me that, that helps quell some of my anxiety about what I'm doing because I am traveling a lot, um, which is sort of a challenge right now. So being able to just systematically do something that I know I'm safe with helps me. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was reading also for the practitioners out there, if you have a MagnaWave machine, um, that they actually did a study on Lysol, two different types of Lysol products that actually they, they for the first one, what they said did kill the coronavirus. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I did, I did read this online. I know I wasn't dreaming. That Lysol, the Lysol Max, and you can use it to wipe down your attachments. You can use that to wipe down the mats. You can also use those type of products to wipe down the bags. Um, so um, these can also be washed in the um, with soap and water, um, in hot water. So I, I was reading about that. I immediately saw that article, and then I got online. I bought some Lysol. I don't know how I did it, but it's sold out now on Amazon. But if you have Lysol, um, Google that article. They do have um, they they do have two studies that they did that showed that it actually killed the coronavirus. So that's that's something that people don't think about is their attachments and their machine and whether they should be wiping that down. And and I I think they should be wiping it down in between each session, wearing a mask, and and then you know doing some of those drop off protocols that we talked about in the past. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're if you're moving client to client, then I feel like you wipe down everything, the whole deal, the the machine, the inside, the outside, every wire, you know, loop that you have, coil, um, mat, et cetera, is all of your attachments need to be cleaned off. I would argue that I would not carry bags. I know that's easier to maybe handle the attachments if you have them in something that you carry. But if you're if you're going to be in someone's home, I would argue that I wouldn't carry the bag. I would just carry the, the coils because they're going to be easier to clean uh, from that perspective. And I would probably try to clean outside. I would go out to my vehicle and before I put anything in the vehicle, I would just wipe it all off so that you know that you're safe and protecting you, but also protecting your client from, you know, exposure from house to house. That's what we're doing in medicine. If you come to the hospital and you're in a room, uh, where you're being evaluated and then you leave, we are deep cleaning the room between patients. You know, the airlines are telling us the same thing. In between flights, they're doing electrostatic sprays and, and things that they are helping minimize contact from the prior client. So I, I think that's a good practice, a good protocol. Um, you know, if you're uncomfortable going into someone's home, you can certainly leave the machine outside. You can either A, leave a list of instructions or B, get them on a, a FaceTime, a Skype, a, a Facebook video where you say, hey, I've, I've plugged in what you need. Just put it into the power mode, you know, turn the machine on, dial it up to the number you're comfortable to. And in 10 minutes, I'm going to sit in my car uh, and I'll continue to talk to you and we'll figure out what we're going to do next. You know, so if you, if you need to continue to isolate like that and not be in that space, then protect yourself, you know. Uh, I think whatever your level of comfort is, is, is kind of what we're going to adapt the practice to at this point. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's one of the reasons, you know, we ordered, we started with these covers and they're really nice because they're antimicrobial. You can wash them with hot water and soap. 
Um, and you can remove them even if you have, if you get a couple different ones, you could easily take it off, wipe it down and put a clean one on. Um, if you wanted to, to do something like that, because I know that here in our office, we're deep cleaning. Um, we have, we will be opening back up to uh, wellness sessions here in, in uh, at Magna Wave in Louisville next week. And the idea is that, you know, they come in, they wash their hands, they wear their masks, they come in and we opened up the room to be a bigger treatment room. So it's not just the small room we used to use. Um, so that we're easily six feet apart and able to start the machine and let them do their session and then sterilizing everything in between. Um, I think that, you know, it's important that we all stay healthy and that we do these things, even though it seems like so much more work because it, it really, it is. But I think, you know, you're a testament to it because you're around people who've been sick. You're working in a hospital and you're not sick. So if you're doing it and you're taking care right. of yourself, and you're taking the right vitamins. Now, are you still taking the magnesium, the vitamin C, all of that? What do you take supplement-wise? I get that question a lot. I, I am. Um, and, you know, vitamins have always been controversial, if you will, in the, in the medical arena. We don't have great studies um, that will tell you that they are 100% effective. And so we don't recommend them a lot of times. A lot of doctors will tell you, you're just, you know, you're going to have expensive urine because you're going to, eliminate the products that you're not using and we don't use them and et cetera, et cetera. I, I tend to think that vitamins are helpful. I do demand a lot out of my body. I'm changing circadian rhythms. I'm sleeping in the day. I'm working at night. I'm traveling a ton. It's exhausting, you know, from a perspective of just pace and, and energy production. And so our bodies tend to, you know, at some point get, get tired and not work as efficiently or as effectively. So I do a ton of supplements. Um, from that perspective to help fortify my system. Um, I, I don't always get a great diet. Uh, I don't always have the ability to do that, I guess, is the easiest way to say it. And so I do depend on um, these vitamins and supplements in order to help sort of maybe substitute for the things that I'm not able to do as I travel. So uh, I'm daily taking vitamin D3. I, I think that that's a very important uh, component right now. We're all a little vitamin D deficient. That's what our studies are telling us right now. Um, our immune system actually it is divided into two different types of reaction to invaders in our body, whatever those invaders might be. We have a generic sort of general response that occurs that we call the innate immune system, but we have an adaptive immune system. And that adaptive immune system is the learning side. So if I just meet a ton of people one day, I might just be like, hey, how are you? Great. Nice to see you. Great party. A ton of fun. You know, that type of thing. But if I get to know you and I see you repetitively and I learn about you, oh, you're married. Oh, you have kids. Oh, you live in Louisville. Oh, you know, I start to see these evolutions of things about you. The next time I see you, I'll be like, hey, how's Joe? You know what I mean? So we can talk about something. So we know something. So our immune system learns. But what it takes in order to do that learning are little tools to help process some of that data, to help interpret that data. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to shake your hand or I'm going to hug you when I see you. We do something that connects us. Vitamin D3 is the connection between our immune system and a foreign product. Wow. It's the handshake. If you don't have it, your immune system does not work as, as effectively as it should. There is some evidence that vitamin D3 will change how the virus itself enters our lung tissue. So there's some interesting data that isn't, again, fully sort of known data, vetted data, 
uh, across the board, but it's data that's interesting. And so if you have a product that you can take that doesn't hurt you, that gives you a better defense, I'm 100% in. Wow. Um, which is, again, partly I've got a MagnaWave. I've got I travel with one. Uh, I've got a backpad with me and a loop with me right now. And every single day I'm using it because I feel like my best defense right now is a, is a really well-developed offense. And so I do a lot of water. I do uh, try to rest uh, an, an effective period of time. I do the MagnaWave and I do my supplements. So I like vitamin D3. It's very important. Uh, I like vitamin E. It's an antioxidant. It helps my system clean and clear debris out. Uh, super important. Like magnesium and zinc, those are two kind of minor micro players that we don't get enough of in our food diet right now, but our immune structures won't work without them. Um, vitamin C, huge, massive player because it is destroying things that we don't want. It just bursts them into flames, basically. So, you know, and again, a lot of these products you can get in just a good multivitamin. Um, if you like taking separate products because you can then control, you know, what you're taking a little bit differently, then you can get them separately as well. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my regimen. I love the way you described it because the vitamin D3, first of all, I didn't realize how important it was. I mean, you, you told me this, but the way you just described it with the immune system was fantastic. <laughs> okay. So I totally get it. Like just describe everything like a video game from here on out and I'm going to get it. Um, and I love the vitamin C cause it just blows them up. Right. <laughs> So I totally get that now too. And I take that. I do the magnesium, the zinc, the vitamin D3. Um, I recently started the C60. I've been taking that again a lot. I love that. Um, I think that for me, I think my my thing is the magnesium and the zinc were kind of a big change for me. When you started telling me to take those, mm -hmm. I think I might've been lacking those more than I realized because mm -hmm. all of a sudden I was sleeping better. I was feeling better. Um, mm -hmm. My sleep changed. Is that normal? Right. Is that, is that normal? Was yes. That, yeah. That's probably the magnesium. That's probably the magnesium. The, the zinc is one of those, zinc is one of those parts of our immune systems. It's kind of like saying, I want to lay a sidewalk um, and I'm going to pour concrete to do that. Zinc is sort of the sand that's inside of the concrete. If you don't have it, you just, you, there's nothing more that you can do. Like you just stop, like there's no more production of anything. So zinc is critical. Uh, for our immune structure and our immune systems. Magnesium is one of those deals that, I mean, it's, it's, it, it almost works in every physiological reaction organ in our body. And we just don't understand that very well. And we're all a little magnesium deficient. You get it in like deep green leafy vegetables. I mean, how many of those are you eating a day? Are you like pounding a bag of spinach like twice a day? You're not, none of us are, you know? So looking at doing some of these supplements really, it is fortifying the system and, and you'll see some shifts in the way that your body is capable of working. Um, and it's awesome that you're sleeping a little bit better because that, that's part of what magnesium does. It's kind of our calm down, cool down product. It, it really is. In fact, I think there's a product uh, that you can purchase and it's called Calm and it's magnesium. That's all it is. It's a powder. You put it in drink and all it, it, it title is Calm <laughs> because it just really brings all of the level down yeah, I mean, uh, in the system just from just a, a sort of stress. <laughs> calm down, yeah. calm down. Yeah. <laughs> calm down, calm down. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know, I mean, I wasn't aware. I, I take my vitamins at night because I always feel like it makes me sick, especially when I was pregnant and I would take my multivitamin. I always had to take it before I went to sleep. So I, it just kind of became a, a habit mm. for me. 
And I think that taking that, that I realized mm -hmm. very quickly after a few nights at magnesium and I was just taking it with the zinc, so I didn't know, but it, it really did help me with the sleep. Yeah, it's, a, and you know, I think a lot of times if you take a lot of supplements at one time, they can be stomach irritating. Um, so if you take them with food, sometimes that will help as well. Uh, I find that if I take a lot of them at one time and I don't have anything on my stomach that I'll feel oh, yeah. it kind of, I don't, just it kind of makes you feel maybe a little nauseous sometimes even depending on what you're doing and how your day is going. So taking it with a meal or like you're doing, taking it and then sleeping a nap or a nighttime uh, rest is would be work. That would work well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Chris, do we have any more questions? Does anybody have any questions that we need to answer? Oh, we got one. Sandy Travis. I may have missed this, but if I have been this, if it has been talked about, but do we know how long the virus lives outside the body? That's a good question. Do we know? It's a very good question. It's a question we're still trying to kind of answer. Uh, it depends on the surface. So the smoother the surface, it seems like the longer it's living. Um, so if you're talking about, you know, doorknobs and faucet handles and counter surfaces, stainless steel, that type of thing, we're seeing an average of five to seven days. Um, if it's on cardboard or boxes, you know, materials like that, it's, it's similar. It's like three to five days instead of the five to seven that we're seeing on the harder surfaces, smoother surfaces kind of estimating a week in length of time that wow. we consider to be viable. But again, we're still sort of trying to figure this out. We're still doing studies about that. We, we you know, we're looking at how long is it hanging in the air? Does it, does it get sucked into the ventilation systems? Like the return air as we recycle air in buildings? Is it, is it being blown places? Is that a possibility? I mean, we're still trying to figure out a lot of these things. Uh, and it's just, it's hard right now to, to get good solid answers. Um, but the, the last food? studies that I had read were five to six on an average. Five to six days. Now, does the flu do that? Can you just answer that for me? Compare it to the flu. Like, does the flu go through? Like, if I get the flu and and and, and it's in my house, and you uh, walk in and deliver a package mm -hmm. or a, a, some food, and you, could you breathe the air? I mean, is it a, as contagious or is it less contagious? What, what you know, is the flu more contagious, less contagious than COVID? In in the air. In, in, the, in, in the air, that's always the big question. Um, flu does similarly transfer in droplets. So coughs, sneezes, you know, hand wipes across the face that you touch and then someone else touches that same surface area. Uh, so we, it spreads similarly. We don't have great head-to-head -head comparisons yet. I think we'll have those in this fall because we're gonna have flu again. Uh, that's the big fear in medicine is when we have the flu epidemic that we have every winter, you know, and we're still having a coronavirus problem. Uh, what is that going to do for wellness across, you know, sort of the, the broad population perspective? What is it going to do to our hospital systems? Everyone is, is kind of watching that very carefully and hoping that we're going to get some medicines that can help us out. Um, but I think it's going to be a lot like the flu. We don't have good treatments for the flu. We do have a vaccine that can help, um, but the flu changes a lot every year. And it is highly contagious, right? So if I'm shaking hands with you or I hug you or I live with you or I touch surfaces that you touch, very likely to get the flu. Um, and it, it's, I think, going to be similar in the coronavirus. It matters about proximity, kind of like we talked about earlier. Um, how close am I to you? How long am I close to you? 
and how big is the space that we're in. Um, all of that matters because as we continue to talk or we continue to touch things or we cough, those types of things, if we're in a small, tight room, then we are going to be rebreathing some of that surface contact. Um, if we're in a big open space, less likely, which is I think why most people are still saying social distance, keep some space between you and the other person, do what you can to help prevent that contact spread, you know, washing your hands, using the hand sanitizers, wearing the masks, all of that can make a difference globally speaking across the board. Yeah, that's excellent advice. Okay, do we have any more questions? Uh, there, Chris. Yep, Dr. Amanda is amazing. Wealth of info for all of us. Thank you, Stan. Hi, Stan. Thank you, Stan. Yes, and thank you, Dr. Myers. She really is. She's wonderful. I really appreciate you doing this with me, Dr. Myers. And enjoy your rest and relaxation um, this weekend. And tell Verlinda I said hi. Well, <laughs> okay. Great, Definitely. Chris. Definitely. Thanks for having me. I love talking with you guys. I love talking to you. Oh, how much magnesium? We got one more question. How much magnesium? Um, I, you know, I think the daily recommended dose. Oh, I'd have to look it up. Elaine, I'll, I'll look it up and make sure for you. Um, I do it in a multi-product. So I feel like that does well. And then I, I do have a dissolving powder that I just use like a teaspoon of um and just a glass of water to, to sort of help throughout my day uh i do that once in the morning and once in the afternoon um i'd have to look and make sure what the what the total dose is but we can do that yeah yeah i think there's a, actually a website janet that we have that we put some of those dosages up um, when we first started talking about covid um i just bought mine at cvs i got magnesium pills uh some just like and they just, it just said on the back, take what, like one in the morning or one at night. And that's what I do. I, I don't know the exact dosage, but I just looked at the back of the book for exactly what it said to, to take. So that's how I ended up doing mine. And I took it with uh, this, I followed the same recommendations for the zinc. And then I take a women's multivitamin that has vitamin C. So that's how I take um, mm -hmm. all of that. All right. I think we're done. All right. We're done. Thank you, Dr. Myers. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye. Good to talk with you.